Hands up, who feels that they, their life is marked by blood, sweat and tears? So I'm going to read an incredibly famous, but I still think really pertinent, quote from Theodore Roosevelt in 1910, called The Man in the Arena. It's not the critic who counts, nor the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails whilst daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who knew neither victory or defeat. I'm going to share this morning my conversion. My biggest conversion outside the conversion of seeing the reality of God was being moving from a consumer to a contributor, recovering the original design of who I am and who humanity is. Repentance, the metanoia, the change of mindset, is an equation. It's a confession of sin, which simply means a coming into agreement with where we fall short of God's design. And it's a movement into truth. It's saying yes to the reality of who God is. Neither is full and complete, but a complete repentance. You're walking in one way, in my case, consumerism. And you have a moment of revelation that says reality and truth is found in contribution. I'm reading this, but Chris and I actually... Chris is, sorry Chris, he ordered the book and I started reading it, which is wrong. It's about um, the story of Netflix and how they became um, a successful company, some of their values and approaches which, are, which really resonate, things like no vacation or travel policy, just full trust, responsibility and freedom amongst their workforce. Their workforce are stunning colleagues who are, in their words, highly high performers, but nevertheless, really interesting reading. But it got, it, it's, it's, it got me thinking about this thing of contribution and consumption. See, in Eden, those garden narratives, we have humanity is made in Genesis 1 narrative in the image of God to rule. And in Eden, we see there are two ways to rule, with God in his wisdom or in our own understanding, redefining good and evil for ourselves. Eden is an image of union and harmony with God, life as it's designed to be. And Eden is marked by work. It's marked by contribution. There's a contribution of ease, of abundance. There is a baseline of consumption there, though. Adam and Eve are given all the fruit trees in the garden. They're, they can eat as much as they like. There's abundance and generosity in Eden. There's just one prohibition, redefining good and evil in our own terms. Ruling in our own wisdom, that leads to death. We, are, we have to consume. We need oxygen, something like every three minutes, isn't it? Water every three days, and it isn't food every three weeks, but people like to say that because it's like threes. And, and food after a few weeks. And then we need shelter, we need to, and then we have the, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We need belonging, we need other things as well. 
So I'm not in any way denigrating that. I'm not promoting some sort of ascetic self-denial or anything like that. We are reliant creatures on God and one another and the spirit of God keeps us alive and we, we are, there is a humble position in acknowledging that reality. And built on that foundation, we are designed to be contributors. There was work to do and the work was to expand the global Eden until it covered the whole earth. That work continues today. And where the first Adam failed, we had a new Adam, a new human, who in him we can have everything we need to expand that work today, Jesus. I find it fascinating that the, the people, it, it, just anecdotally, some of the people I know, either anecdotally I've read in this book, but also know who work in TV, don't watch it. And I struggle very much. I only ever watch stuff if it connects with my family. That's a reason I watch for f- relational connection because fundamentally consumption kills us when it's over or distorted and that's what happens east of Eden. There's an alienation that happens from God. We don't believe we're loved and we go, we move into all sorts of patterns and behaviours to meet that inner need that God alone can meet. And we become over consumers or distorted consumers in certain areas, including contribution. We can have a codependent relationship. So the people who make TV who never watch it are dependent on the people who consume it. Netflix's business model is dependent on 160 million global subscribers. The irony of the people that would never watch it, they'd never watch Netflix, they only make stuff for Netflix. And the biggest industry in the world that's exploded, I think it's bigger than movies and music, and it may be more media, but I think it's certainly those two is gaming, because what gaming does is it puts you into the feeling of contribution, as does social media. That's why that's exploded. There's something within us that feels we want to bring something to the table. We want to contribute our voice in the, in the case, or our dance, or our song. And I mean that seriously. We do. We're designed to. That's why social media works. And we're also designed to be on a great adventure, and that's what the carrot, the, game, the gaming industry, is dangling. So I was at a large church, which I absolutely loved, in another city. And every week I, I saw the worship as a buffer zone, when I could get to the thing that I liked, which is the talk. Everyone has their preference. And, and basically I thought, I'd sort of judged the whole thing on whether it, it was an outstanding talk, in my understanding. I had that thought, never occurred to me it was a consumer mentality, didn't occur to me, it was just what you did, you went somewhere and you kind of basked in, the, in, in your own reading of it. Never occurred to me to contribute at all, in any way. The other thought I had though, sitting at the back of this church, is everyone here can lead a church. Now there were, there are times when we need to consume. If we're, if we're new Christians, we just need to consume and we need people to give us stuff to consume. That's just kind. But there's a maturing process where we realise quite quickly on we've got something to bring to the table and it's that where we come alive. So I think this thing of every member ministry was in Chris and I before we came to Hope. We'd never heard of a congregation or denomination, but it's rooted in the idea of a congregation bringing what they can to the table. Every tradition has their, their stream has their echo of God's design. And I think there's something in that one, that we're a congregation and we contribute.
So I just want to get everyone in pairs now and think. My consumption was food, possibly what people thought of me in certain ways, content, reading, yeah, things which are okay, you know, it matters, well, it matters to, you know, to treat people well, it matters, you need to eat, and reading's great, but there was an over and a distortion in them, and I'm sure many other areas, we don't have to say, but what would be great now is either in pairs, if you both want to say, or threes, if you don't want to say, but you want to be in on a conversation. Something where you feel God might be pressing in on you on an overall distorted area of consumption in your life, where you know it's out of alignment. You're, you're this way, you're trying to meet your needs in alienation from God, and he's asking you to walk this way into an area of contribution. I'm going to have five minutes on that. This is a big subject, but, and, and this is about allowing the Holy Spirit to hover over the chaos of our pre-creation state, and then Jesus to speak in a word of new creation in this area. So it's, it's a message of grace and encouragement, as I said, are any of us feeling the blood, sweat, and tears, because that will be the kicking and screaming transformation, certainly, that I went through. And I didn't particularly go through it in terms of God by the root of being bound and having my eyes and ears covered. That was my human efforts to deal with my overconsumption, and it didn't work. But I did, I did hear a voice long, louder and deeper and stronger calling me to ways I could contribute. And as I kicked and screamed that way, I realized I was getting free that way. So it's good to name it, to recognize it, to see it, but that moment of revelation is the grace we need to walk in the opposite. We don't need to self-minister our healing. That's the beauty. That's the good news. That's why we're not a self-help program. The help has already come 2,000 years ago. It's rather beautiful that Jesus as a human experienced this. There was a woman at a well whose consumption was relationships for whatever reason. She met Jesus and he brought her into a new way of being, perhaps her true way that she'd always been, of being able to contribute life, hope and good news, healing to her community. Read it in John 4. But what's fascinating is Jesus himself talked about himself in that way because the disciples have been getting him food while he had this meaningful encounter. And he says, my food, my energy, my consumption is to do the will of the Father and finish his work. Even he recognized that life as a human comes from being a contributor. And then there's this beautiful passage where he knows he's going to go to a, a, the most brutal, shameful, humiliating execution ever devised by humanity. He knew he was, he knew he was, a, he was the image bearer. He was the one who was ruling on God's behalf in such a way that everyone flourished, fulfilling that, that Genesis 1 vision. He knew who he was. So in John 13, it says he got down on his knees and took the lowest place of the servant, of the slave, the humiliated one, and released those in his care to greatness. He understood true contribution that has no codependence in it whatsoever. There's no need in him. 
There's no craving likes or thumbs up or anything. He just knew who he was so he could serve. He was a pure contributor. And until we go through that place, we will never be pure in our contribution. We'll, it will always just be a distorted form of consumption. So we break the codependency and we move into the freedom that we can just be a humiliated slave in the world's eyes because we know what God thinks of us. Sure, yeah. That's great, Andrew. Thank you. So, so Sarah spends time withdrawing in nature and so on to be sort of filled up in order to engage. She withdraws to engage and she's saying she can't quite find a consumption, contribution dynamic in her life. So my response to that, and I think anyone else, is we don't have to work it out. When the Holy Spirit tells us, we know, because it's the moment of our liberation. We're like, flip, he's, he's dealing with something in me. It's like he's the most precise heart surgeon. What we can do, and I want this to be an immersive series, we all want this to be an immersive series of repentance, so that by Easter we're like, this is the thing he's dealing with in our lives. And we're going to have person after person after person unpacking what repentance looks like for each of us. And then in that place, I think there'll be the thing. And it could be something about what you're talking about. It's always a distortion on design. So the, the sin is never greater than design. Sin is only ever a distortion. And so we just, we just deal with the shadow side and move to the design. The design for me is I can consume. I, like, I, can read, I read about a book a week. It's a prolific thing, but it enables me to be a contributor in a particular area. So it's not that those things are negative on their self. It's when they become over. So I would sit in the immersive experience of this term, sit in the repentance, and ask the Holy Spirit, what's the thing he's doing? So if there is nothing that's resonate, don't try and find anything. He is able to go, this is the thing. This, don't forget, was 10, 15-year journey. I'm sort of summing up. I hope that helps. Um, yeah, so for me, the invitation, the deliverance, if you like, or the freedom or the change of mindset about how I came alive came when I start to taste contribution and the reward it gives not in a codependent way, but in just a pure doing the things that God's put in front of me to do way. Paul um, says this, in, in, even in the, there's a, a church gathering, probably about 25 people in the home of probably a wealthy Gentile in the city of Corinth, probably comprised mainly of, of men, women, slaves and children. But there's a whole load of other dynamics going on too and he writes in this letter to this church that he loves he he partnered with another couple in planting that they can bring something to the table in 1 Corinthians 14 26 What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church, the believers, the gathered community of following Jesus together may be built up. So firstly, the minor revelation is just when, we, when I come to a, connect, to a community of people following Jesus, or I come to a friendship with someone who isn't, or when I'm connecting with my children in any, any realm of life, I come with 
a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. I come with something that brings hope that they're built up. I'm not consuming from them. I'm not going to them to consume. I'm going to them to contribute. And that was that is just like seeing the world differently. And it's so liberating because no one can ever, ever meet our needs apart from one. And his name is Jesus. He's the one who meets us and out of that place we can contribute. Now we are built up by Jesus through the body. That's why we can build one another up. And so we receive his building up through the body, but there's a purity in it. That's just a little example, but it could be, do you know what, that person just really needs a cup of tea. I'm gonna contribute by sitting down, having a cup of tea with them. That person really needs a home. So I'm gonna sit down and put in a plan in place to make sure that person has a home. It could be that that person just doesn't know about Jesus. They've never heard about Jesus. So I can begin to explain that there's a way of life that, that works. Whatever the contribution is, it's having a front foot mindset in every area of life. And it's the most liberating way to be because all entitlement is just not even there. I was so entitled and so offended. It's like, I'm offended, I'm entitled in my little sort of mud over here, as C.S. Lewis calls it, because I didn't know about the beach over there that I could enjoy. It all just goes as a purifying process when we see the world as rulers who can serve in such a way that everyone flourishes under our care. So here at Hope, we're actually going to put the drape up. We, we're built on this principle, and that's, that's not... It's not easy, but it's the most energizing thing in the world and we think it's right for our particular part of how the body contributes in the city and the region. So we have a beach and a boat vision, a beach where there's, there's prayer cover, where there's pastoral support, where people have community, where people go deep with one another. And then the boats that are sent out into places where there is need, not because we have any less or more need, but that, but that Jesus is meeting our need. And we want to be part of the solution for others, just as we freely received. So we go out in humility and honor and respect to listen, learn, but also give what we've freely received. And we do that in a number of ways and we call them boats, but we also don't want to use that word because it's, it's what all of you are doing all the time. I particularly want to honor those in the workplace. That is the front line of ministry. We are passionate about that. Chris spent a number of years in financial services. It's the front line of ministry. Every day, we have an opportunity to be good news. And in some ways, that, that is a boat. That could be the thing you say, that's what I'm doing. There are other boats that we have. We have Celebrate Recovery, which support a Christ-centered recovery group that supports people working through or anything that could be holding them back from full freedom. Supron, youth, we reach out to young people and and empower them to understand a biblical worldview. Housing in all sorts of different ways, moving from houses to homes. Education, thinking through some of the, the ways that education works and doesn't work. Food bank, night shelter, Kate talked about that earlier. Building community in local and different areas and in different creative ways creative, expressing ourselves creatively in such a way that reveals the goodness, the truth, and also the beauty of God. And then direct sort of more prophetic ministries where we hear God for people and pray for them. There are a number of different ways that we can be the up in and out. 
And I would encourage every single one of us to ask God, what's the thing for me? We believe in total freedom to start a boat if we can tick four criteria. Anyone can start a boat at Hope. You have to, or, or you don't have to call it a boat, but it has to have these four ingredients. It has to be up in and out. It has an out. It's a boat, not on the beach. Or the beach plays a massive role. It has to have this living free culture, this culture of teachability, constant, a lifestyle of repentance where we're always working on ourselves and growing personally. There has to be more than one person. Jesus never sent anyone out individually. It doesn't represent the gospel. The good news is two people can get on with each other. Did you notice that? The dividing wall of hostility between me and another human was broken at the cross. If we're going out on our own, we're still in that place of hostility. We don't know how to love our neighbor. That's not good news to anyone. So we need at least two people going out together who work out between them how to love each other. The way they love each other will show the world we've got something. We break that radical individualism. And then finally, prayer cover. That might be we're more based on the beach, but we have a particular heart for an area, and we're just like, that's the thing I want to cover in prayer. We want everyone to be finding their own prayer cover. If, if that is you, if any of those resonate, either to be a part of or in or start, then this is, this is what I believe it looks like for us in this season to be a church of contribution. So, one more question. Do you feel God's put, he's putting an area in your life that he's asking you to contribute in? Some people talk about, I have a passion for that area. But others, I think he talks through pain and frustration and brokenheartedness. Certainly that was Nehemiah's reason why he went to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He was weeping. He wasn't happy and passionate. He was absolutely brokenhearted at the state of something. God can speak through that as well as passion. Whatever the thing is, is God getting your attention on an area? Now, he may have got your attention a long time ago and you're in it. You're pushing into it. But it may be he's just beginning to speak to you. So in your pairs or whatever, start to talk to each other. Is there an area where I feel God's saying, this is my contribution? Okay. We are, this is a, a conversation that we're all going to be having for a, a while. And we, we want to affirm this. We believe this is a community full of leaders. This is a, there's a mutuality here. There's a community here full of leaders. And it is the greatest privilege to see people released into that place of leadership and bring support, resources, a context where people are mobilized one of the words that I received on what, was what we call my original design in Tacoma, where people didn't know me at all. They'd never met me before. They had a number of prophetic words, and one of them is, I mobilized people into action. And it just felt like, yeah, that's part of who I am. It's my excitement and my delight and my privilege to see people come alive on the thing they're built for and here for. There's no greater privilege. So we bless us as a community of leaders. We bless us as a community that respect where we are on the journey. Some of us are kicking around in the mud because they're, 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 that siren noise is seductive and we really believe it. We believe it for a reason. And so we support one another in that place. We support one another in the kicking and screaming of the change of mindset. 
And then we support one another when they're just mobilized and moving and empowered because we're all on that journey all the time. I'm going to finish with a reminder of what we call the four, the five, the eight, the loads of R's. Just however many R's you want, because re means turn. That's why you can have a whole load of words beginning with re, and, and you get a repentance. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to pluck a number. Four. Four R's. Andrew did five last week. This is just to keep us on our toes, so we don't get too religious on this. My four R's. This is a bit like you've got L plates on and you're learning to drive and you do mirror signal maneuver. Not entirely sure I ever really did that while learning. Certainly never done it since. But anyway, it's a good idea to have a thing you go through. And this is what I do still now, years on. Recognize, I have a light bulb moment. There's something not right in the way I'm operating. I actually, yeah, it's five, isn't it? It's hard to get away from that. I repent, I acknowledge. I don't just recognize, but I acknowledge I don't want to live like that anymore. It's just holding me back. I receive forgiveness, and at this point, we, we imagine ourselves, if you like, in a shower and just receive it. It's gone. It's gone. There's just nothing there as far as the east is from the west, as far as he removed all that, those, that lies, those little deceptions from us. They're nothing. It's gone. The heart of this is good news. I rebuke any territory I've given legal position to the enemy. Any areas where he has legal right to have jurisdiction in my life and my thinking. And that's, that's not like hocus pocus. It's very simple. If you're in discouragement, just rebuke discouragement. If you're in entitlement, just rebuke it. Whatever words you have to name the thing that has a hold over you, you can just say in authority of Jesus, that's not in my life, in my thinking, in my ways anymore. And then we replace. We say, okay, great, now I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. What does, what does it look like, in my case, to be a contributor? So endeth the lesson. <laughs> I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you for this incredible gift that we call repentance, that we can have a change of mindset about how we live. We can move out of a way that's killing us into a way of life that's liberating us. And it's through what you did on the cross. We are so grateful for such a time as this. I bless us all to be fully mobilized in the callings that you've given each of us. In the little moments, in the private secret places with those closest to us where no one else will know. Where we contribute rather than consume. And in the bigger, more public moments. May we be a people mobilized we know who we are we know we're children of the living God we know we're designed to rule and out of that place of significance get down on our knees and serve we want to leave the world a better place than we found it amen <laughs>